What's up, guys? So, um, you know, we were here last night with uh, Legacy Nashville, and you guys definitely saw this wonderful couple, uh, Lyle and Allison Phillips. They are the pastors here at Legacy Nashville, and I think they're going to tell a little bit of their story, kind of how they ended up getting here, why Nashville. Um, they might talk a little bit about some of the different things that they've been involved in throughout their lives and ministry and um, justice issues are both in their heart. And then um, there's going to be a little bit of Q&A, and that's going to be just a great time for you. So think about questions from last night that you have or from things in their story, and uh, we're just excited to hang out with them for a little bit and hear a little bit more about kind of the heart behind um, what we saw last night. So, Lyle and Allison. Don't mind that. That's just deep intercession. It's a deep intercession. Travail. That's what that is. I love it. Um, how are you guys doing today? Do you guys have coffee? Oh, Some no. Some of you guys? No coffee oh, in Nashville? No Where are you guys going to go for coffee? The church. <laughs> the church for coffee. You guys got to go to some cool coffee shops. We, we, it's on the agenda. It's on the agenda. Yeah. Where are you guys going? What's on the sketch? We've got Talking Monday. Yes. Yes. Nice. Those are good ones. So there's a hidden gem, which I like. I don't know how much you like it, but I like Dose. Yeah, Dose is def- definitely one of my faves. Yeah, Dose is like, it's kind of, it, you all couldn't fit in there, but maybe you could like take turns. Uh, yeah, take yep. shifts, snagging coffee, which would be fun. Yeah, so dose is definitely great too. So, any coffee place you choose here is probably going to be Barista fairly Parlor's good. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, Barista Parlor is amazing. They have three locations now, so that's yeah, good. yeah, it is good because I didn't like their original location because I want I want coffee to feel like my home, yeah. and Barista Parlor did not feel like my home because I Why asked for that? decaf one time and they looked at me like. I had sinned. They're like, excuse me, ma'am, we do not serve decaf. If you want decaf, there are teas on the wall over there. And then one time I asked for a to-go cup, and it was like pulling teeth for them to give me a to-go cup. Yep, I remember that. But that was at the original location. They're much better about it now. And then all their other locations are more chill. The original location is super hipster. So if you really want the Nashville vibes, go to that It's full on. So, yeah, Yeah. it's good. And Allison doesn't care for it so much because... I don't care for the vibe, but the coffee, I mean, you can't deny. It's for amazing. me, I like the vibe. Yeah. I think it's great. <laughs> so, super fun. Yeah. Hey, here's a pacifier, by the way. I have it in my pocket. Yeah, he if he gets, like, things. chatty. Yeah. We always tell, he like... He might want it. He might not. Yeah, people in our church, if they get uncomfortable with hearing kids chat, we're like... You won't like heaven. You won't like heaven. <laughs> like, I don't this know. Is, Maybe. Yeah, like... I'm not this sure is, what everybody's like up there. Yeah, but. like... Babies are allowed to laugh and talk and we just think that be present. you know joy and happiness and kids run, running around is super important yeah. in the family of God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> Roland Baker, who is one of our spiritual fathers, he always says that the first thing that the enemy comes after in the church is joy. Uh, and the reason for that is because when he's got your joy, he's got your strength because we know the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so he said that's typically the first thing that the enemy tries to come against and steal is joy in the house. 
happiness. Just people genuinely expressing themselves and having a good time in church. Mm -hmm. And I know that's probably not everyone's experience or their history, or maybe you're from a different tradition or denomination. But for us as pastors here at Legacy, we really like to keep this authentic core value intact of just simple joy. Just like simple, authentic happiness, like I mentioned last night about Jason, like being nice to people, just having fun with one another. Like that's totally what heaven's going to be like, in my opinion. We're going to have a blast in heaven. Would you guys agree with that? So I'm thinking, hey, we should have a blast together as a church. Like that's what family does. That's what community does. And that's what heaven does. So that's a core value of ours. Mm -hmm. We wanted to share a little bit of our story uh, with you guys today. And so... um, we're actually recording this for our podcast. Any of you guys listen to our podcast? Conversations. A few of you guys? Yes. Awesome. The Thanks in for the listening. Back. That's awesome. So we, um, we do a weekly podcast every week on a Monday called Conversations. And uh, basically what that means is we have coffee and then record what we talk about. Yeah, we just like pick a topic in the morning and we're like, what do we want to talk about? And then we chat about it over coffee and for some reason people listen to it and I love that. So It's shocking sometimes. Uh, Our most popular episode was Netflix and Chill. So, so if you guys want to listen like to thousands that. of people yeah, listen to that episode. It. Seriously, like it was shared like thousands of times. Yeah, and we were so shocked because we initially committed to doing the podcast uh, twelve times. Yeah. So we said every Monday for twelve weeks we're going to record a podcast, and then like if people respond to it, great, we'll keep doing it. If no one responds and we're bored, we'll stop. Yeah. Uh, but like. It's gone really well. Yeah. Like when it first came out, we were on the like the new and noteworthy page on the yeah. iTunes front page. Which I'm like, what? How does that even happen? Like we're just having a conversation yeah. over coffee. So, so you guys out. are going to be a part of the Conversations yeah, podcast today. today. This is our first live audience so. podcast. We're moving on up in the world over here. Yeah, we got a live so, audience. So stoked about it. So that's why we want to ask um, you guys to think about some questions. We want to do some Q&A. We want to respond. We may not know the answers to all of your questions. And if we don't know, our simple response is going to be, we don't I don't know. know. So. And uh, <laughs> so we think that's better than trying to make up something that sounds spiritual. Would you guys agree? Awesome. Cool. Um, so I think what we'll do is I'll kind of share some of my story. Allison will share some of her story. And then collectively we'll talk about our story together as lead pastors here um, at Legacy. So would you like to kick that off and go first? Or? Yeah, sure. Um, so I um, was born and raised here in Nashville, Tennessee. I am like the awkward man out when somebody uh, says, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Nashville. And they're like, no, like, where are you from? Like, no, no, for real, I'm from Nashville. So um, Nobody's from Nashville. Yeah, nobody's from Nashville. Everybody's a transplant to Nashville because it's the greatest city on earth. Um, But also just because there is uh, a booming music industry here, obviously, um, some great universities and also uh, some great publication houses here. Um, And a lot of people move here for the uh, production uh, music side of things. And I just happened to get to be here because my family was here. So I'm second generation here in Nashville. Both my parents were raised here. My dad was born here. And I live, or my parents live, I lived um, in the house that my mom grew up in. So we're like, we got roots here. So this is where I'm from. My whole family, for the most part, lives here in Nashville. Um, And so I grew up here. I grew up actually going to this church, Belmont Church, that we actually meet in. 
now. Um, in the in the big sanctuary. in the main sanctuary, yeah, not in here. This is this chapel is legendary. It's been around for a hundred years. Um, and it has seen some pretty incredible waves of revival. This used to be a Church of Christ church, Belmont Church of Christ. Um, and in the 70s, during the Jesus People movement, um, there was uh, obviously a sovereign move of the Lord, and people were getting saved. People who uh, never were supposed to be in the church or belong to the church were having radical encounters with the Lord, and they had no place to go in this church. Um, it literally opened its doors to people who otherwise would not have an experience of family um, as they came to know the Lord. And, like um, the hippies. The hippies, yeah. People yeah. like, you know, they, they, they just... They probably look like me. Yeah. Long hair. Super cute. Um, <laughs> so cute. So, yeah. So, this church, the history is is amazing. And I got I grew up here. Um, and as, as I grew up here, I am probably third or fourth generation believer. Um, my family has loved the Lord for a really long time. So, I have a rich history with the Lord. Um, I never had a season of my life where I was confused about the presence of God in my life. I, I was so blessed to have parents who pursued the presence of God on a uh, regular basis. My parents actually uh, walked away from the Lord for a time and then got saved again when I was probably two or three. So I don't know a time in my life where um, the Lord was not ever present in my life. And so here I grew up in this church where uh, revival was so present and the presence of God was so tangible. And so as I grew up, I knew I had this deep desire in my in my heart to affect the lives of people. Um, I don't know if any of you have that where it's like, I don't really know what I want to do, but I know it involves people and I know it involves me giving my life to something. Right. Um, so that was kind of how I grew up where I was like, I know there's something significant that I want to give my life to, but I'm not entirely sure what it is or what it looks like, but I know people are involved. Um, I never really considered going into ministry. For me, women in ministry... Um, had a certain look and a certain uh, I, DNA, and I did not fit that DNA. Um, I was not very dominant. There was nothing about me that was masculine in nature. Like, I was not very forceful uh, with the way I presented myself. So I never really thought that being a woman in, in ministry was something that I could do. So I always leaned really heavily towards the justice side of ministry um, because I knew as a, as a, as a woman, I'm really good at nurturing and I'm really good at making space for for people and at the time the church didn't really have a ton of great examples of what it looked like to be a woman in ministry nor did I see a lot of examples of husbands and wives doing ministry together um, yeah. at least around me I didn't really totally. see it and so I kind of just didn't have really I didn't really have any idea about it so um, as I kind of ventured forward, I went to uh, college and I got really involved with um, some social justice um, on my campus. Um, and I, I helped to start a chapter of IJM. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the International Justice Mission um, on my college campus. And we began to raise awareness and funds for the justice movement that was happening through IJM. And um, I was broken. I was so broken um, over just the idea of human trafficking. And as a kid, I remember having an experience where I saw for the first time child pornography and it, it threw me for such a loop that I was like, ne like 
I don't really know what I want to do, but I know that, you know, like I want to affect people and I want to make sure that kids never experience that. Mm. And so, I mean, my journey has been to some extent based on my personality. I'm not like a... I'm, like, not a visionary. Who in here is, like, not a visionary? Like, they're a builder. I'm a builder. So everybody's like, I'm a visionary. I see pictures. And that's not me. I am a builder, like, through and through. So I'm I'm every visionary's dream come true because I see I, I'm really good at saying, oh, you have a vision. Like, I can build a bridge. And I know how to make connections, and I really am great at, at bringing people together. So I was like, I don't really have a huge vision for my life, but I just I have – I have a heartbeat and I have a passion. I have a passion for people and children and seeing justice, works of justice happen on the earth. And so as I went through university, I kind of got to this point where I, I kind of became stuck. My second year of college, I was going to Belmont University, which is just down the road here. And I was studying Christian leadership with a minor in German. I don't know why I was doing that, but I just like German, and um, I love Germany, and I, I just had this heart and this passion for the nations and for Europe, so I was doing it, but mm-hmm. I felt like the Lord say, hey, like, it's time uh, to take a break. I had been really passionate about my academic studies. I went to a very competitive private school here um, in the city all growing up, and then when I went to university, uh, I really enjoyed studying. So I was kind of confused as to why the Lord was like, okay, it's time to make a transition. And I didn't really know what direction he was taking me in. But um, at the time, my little sister was graduating from high school, and she was really interested in applying for a school of ministry called BSSM, um, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California. Um, Do you guys know about that Anybody know about that? Okay. Yeah, so it's in Northern California. And um, at the time, she was like, I really want to go. I need a break. I need a gap year between, you know, high school and going off to college. So I'm going to go to Bethel. And I was like, oh, that's like a really good idea. I should probably do something like that. Me and my sister are 18 months apart in age. We're best friends. We're really close. Um, But at the same time, I was like, I want her to be able to have her, like, post-high school experience I got to have mine I wanted to let her have hers and right. she ended up saying like never mind I'm gonna go to college so I was like okay I'm gonna apply for Bethel I did I got in she ended up changing her mind and she ended up there at the same time as I did we did school ministry together um, first and second year and when I was in school of ministry I um, got turned upside down I, for the first time in my life, saw what it looked like for a woman to be in ministry and be fully empowered, like, as a woman. And I I didn't feel this pressure to fit into a box that looked like a woman trying to be a man in ministry because that's all the church was comfortable with. Um, And I felt so celebrated and so seen that I was like, man, like, I could do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I could actually um, be invested and actually be a part of church. I I was always passionate about being part of a church family. That was never, that was a non-negotiable in my life. Church, being a part of church and church family was like a number one priority for me. But leading in a church context was not something that I ever, I I didn't really think that it was possible. Um, Not that I, I, like I said, I'm not a visionary. So I'm not dreaming about how to change systems and structures. I'm dreaming about how to help somebody else change a system and a structure. So I'm like not naturally like, oh, like I can do it. I'm going to bust in and I'm going to like make it happen. So I was, it was beautiful for me to get to go into an environment where I could actually see like my dream put on display and say, oh, like I could actually do that with my life. Mm 
um, and all the while being passionate about about justice, but at the same time really focusing on my internal world, getting healing, um, actually embracing the idea that that I could actually happen and actually be a part of, um, you know, ministry and church. Um, so around that time is when I, I met Lyle, and then things got weird in a good way because Lyle is like the ultimate visionary. Um, if you know him for more than five minutes, he's got like four ideas and He's gonna make things up. that we should yeah, do. We should do something like Let's every day, this. every Let's day. It's Let's like make this something happen. new. And I remember talking to him and being like, "Wow, like this is nuts." Like, um, we'll we'll share a little bit of our story with Mercy Twenty Nine and his story with um, India. Um, and as he shared with me uh, his heart for justice, I remember like this is crazy because he is a missionary. He was a missionary at the time. And I remember telling my friends like, Hey, it's probably not going to work out because I don't actually see myself living, um, overseas long-term. I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go to India long-term. I actually have a heart for America. My heart burns to see the church in America set on fire and, and actually like rechurched again, actually to, to become, the bride again, like that's actually, I have such a passion for that. So I was like, I don't know how this fits. Like, I don't know how it works, but somehow it did. And, you know, now as, you know, we obviously got married. Obviously. Uh, obviously. We got a kid, so hopefully we got married. Um, <laughs> so we got married and um, I stepped into this full time, straight out of ministry school. And it has been like a crash course, like the learning curve is so steep. We can probably tell you a hundred ways not to plant a church. We and should do a podcast. On yeah, that. we probably should. A list should. of a hundred things not, not to, to do, do when you're planting you church. You want to plant a church. We're young we and we're have dumb. And yeah, like we just, you know, we were just dumb enough to trust God and say like, you know, which is the smartest thing we can do. But we're just dumb enough in the world's eyes to say like, oh, like we're just, I was 23 when um, I, I took 26. over lead pastor with Lyle and I mean I was easily the youngest lead pastor in the city um people we connected Pretty with sure were, still are. I'm probably still am yeah so but I mean it's been a wild journey so you know like I ended up obviously moving back from California coming here to my hometown and now getting to actually step into a dream that I never thought was possible but also like um like Jason was talking about last night allow the Lord to expand um, my dreams to actually fit a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that has been um, a painful and really incredible journey that we've been on um, the last three or four years since we've we've done this together. So that's kind of my journey. That's how we got here. To some extent, um, it was a lot of just obedience and saying yes when he said turn right, turn left. Um, I don't think I could have planned my steps to be here where I am right now. Um, and in fact, like it would have been really unwise for me to try and plan my steps to be here right now. Cause if I had like tried to do it in my own strength, it probably wouldn't have gone in this direction. So, but that's how, that's how I'm here. That's great. It's been a wild journey. And, and we are co-pastors. Yes. I mean, our responsibilities ebb and flow. Yes. Uh, but we're co-leaders. So I am not the pastor and Allison is the pastor's wife. So that's not our format here. 
Yeah. Like we're co-leaders. So we're co-pastors. We're both the lead pastors of Legacy Nashville. Which so. is, it sounds, it sounds really pretty to say that. And it sounds really <laughs> easy for that to like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like he's the pastor, I'm the co-pastor. And we like do this. It's beautiful. And like really it's been a lot of hard work because like I said earlier, we don't have a lot of pictures in the church today. No. What does it look like for us to do ministry together? Really yeah, if, like for him to be the visionary and happen to me be the bridge builder that says, hey, like I can help your vision happen. Um, and like I'm a mom, so I can actually like, I can nurture a family that's act, that's like that's what I'm gifted at you know what does that look mm -hmm. like for that to be in tandem and for people to like you know process that because you would think that's easy for people to process but truth be told moms have been absent from the church for a long time we've had a lot of like decent teachers but not a lot of great fathers and very few great mothers um, you know mothering and fathering the church and we're just these young people i mean that are daring to try try and, and figure it out with the lord so it's been uh an interesting time so yeah when we say like oh we're co-pastors like that is that's a weighty thing for us and we figure it out every day yeah really and like allison said there's really not a whole lot of pictures for that so you can't really look and say i'm gonna do that model right there because that is what we're going for um and, I mean, let's just be honest. Women in the church have been suppressed and oppressed for generations. And so trying to empower uh, women in our environment is challenging because we're not just doing something that's unusual. We're actually going against the grain of what a lot of religious people might prefer. So I think there's even, like, a spiritual uh, wall there to be broken through. And, and we're just trying to do that um, as best we can for our generation and for the next, because, um, you know, that's what we see happening. And, and we have some really good friends, Alan and AJ yeah. Jones. Uh, they also have a podcast, by the way, and they're probably one of the few couples that we see uh, pastoring uh, together in a way that we're really inspired by. And so I would definitely encourage you guys to, uh, to connect with that. And you know, you probably, maybe were listening to Allison share and we're like, wow, like even some of the language that she uses is uniquely different for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's because like we really do believe, and I know Bethel believes this too, is like creating an empowered culture. Like we're not trying to come in like, oh, we, we suck at everything. So hopefully God does something. Like by comparison to him, yeah, we do suck at everything. But we truly believe that as sons and daughters, he has empowered us and he is constantly equipping us to what he's called us to do. So despite the fact that we may very well be the youngest lead pastors in Nashville, who cares? Like honestly, who cares, right? Like it doesn't matter. Like look at the Bible. So many people at the age of 30 were doing like really big stuff, even Joseph, which uh, Jason preached about last night, which I preached about the Sunday before. So I'm like, I told him last night, that's a sermon series right there. We're just gonna put two messages together, make that into a sermon series if he lets me. His message was way better than mine because I cried through the whole thing. Anybody else in here? Even though you know Jason, you still cried? Guys, See, it that's was how you know insane. it's real good. Like when, when you, well, I mean, you. I know you good too. But like when you, when you follow somebody yeah. regularly and then they preach and you weep, you're like, God. it's the Lord that I'm yep. following this person, right? Yep. So um, for me, so Allison's like, she's a Bethel baby, right? Yep. So I'm an Iris kid. Uh, so you, do you guys know about Iris Global? Um, you guys know about uh, Heidi and Roland Baker? Do you know about Heidi Baker? She's kind of popular, right? So um, she speaks at 
she speaks at Regent, right? Yeah. yeah. So she's awesome. Uh, so she's our, she's my spiritual parents. She's now our spiritual parents. And so I came from Iris. So when Allison and I first started dating, I want to tell you guys a funny story, right? Um, I actually never, ever, ever thought that I could have a relationship with someone like the Bakers. I mean, come on, right? Like, these guys are legends. These guys, like, history's going to remember them. Like, they're God's generals, you know? That's the way I see them anyway. And so I never actually thought a real connection with them was possible. But God proved me wrong, and I ended up working for Iris as a staff member for the Harvest School. I became an Iris missionary, uh, was allowed and given permission to pioneer for Iris India and uh, do some stuff around the world with Iris Global. So by the time that Allison and I started dating, um, you know, I was friends with the bakers and uh, pretty empowered in, in that world. And then she was like one of the star students at BSSM whom everybody loved. I mean, come on, look at her. She's so easy to adore. Um, and so all of her friends kind of hated me. And I was so upset about that because I was like, I am nice. Yeah, because he's you so know? nice. I mean, even Michael Hart, I mean. Even Michael Hart, our who? worship pastor, who was in school with Allison. Yeah, he's like one of my best friends from school ministry. Who, by the way, didn't even sing in front of a single person until three years ago. Yeah, it was four years ago. When he was 19. Yeah, and he, he sang, sang in front a of Whitney me. Houston song for the first time ever yeah. in front of someone to Allison. Yeah. And Allison cried. Yeah, and I was like, you got it, bud. You sing, man, you're anointed. <laughs> Which I love. So, But even Michael, who's like literally the most fun-loving, friendly person, had a hard time with Lyle. That's true, he did. Because yeah. everyone was like, who is this guy? He's weird. He's a missionary. He's from Iris. Like, I'm just not sure about him. He's trying to steal you. You're our princess. Like, you're our prized possession. Like, you're so good. And I was like a little bit like mama. So they were like, where is like, where are you going to go? What are we going to do without you? Plus, Allison's like as pure as the driven snow. <laughs> like, she's never done anything wrong in her whole life. She's like total goody two-shoes pretty much, by comparison to me, okay? So quick story, right? So all of her friends kind of hated me, and I was trying to figure out, okay, what can I do? I've gone out to Reading. We've all hung out. Her friends seem to not like me. How can I win them all over at the same time? So I devised a plan, all right? I thought to myself. Take notes. I know, I know what I can do. So I text Mama Heidi, and I'm like, hey, when is the next time that you're going to be preaching at BSSM in second year? Because that's, Allison was in second year, right? And she was like, oh, I'm preaching such and such date. And I was like, great. Jumped on the computer, bought some plane tickets, and then I showed up at the same time Heidi arrived to the venue to be in her second year class when she was going to be speaking. And so because I have this relationship with Heidi now, she's like, oh, just come to the front and bring your girlfriend. And then throughout the message, like three or four times, she gives me shout outs. She's like, Lyle's just my friend. And I'm like, turning around to all her friends, like, that's right. I'm Heidi's friend. I'm cool. You know, I'm a good person. I love Jesus, you know. Um, and so after that, I won over all of her yeah, friends. Yeah, it worked. And they were like, okay, yeah, okay, you know. Okay, we trust you, you know, because they just yeah. didn't know him. So they were like, we don't know how to trust you. But that was, I but literally devised that devised plan. devised the plan. <laughs> and it worked. Schemed it up. Yep. You know, hey, you know, every now and then you just have to borrow somebody else's favor. <laughs> right? Yep. It's actually a pretty good word, yeah, it's true. you know. Walking in the fog. Ball. Favor of God. <laughs> They're like, cool. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. It's okay to be, have fun. Yep. 
we established that from point one. Yeah, totally. So my story, guys, I'm from a village in West Kentucky called Sacramento. Uh, it's very small. It, it doesn't have a stoplight or a restaurant. It has a gas station. They serve chicken wings. So that's where I'm from, all right? Like, that is my pedigree. Um, my, my family all grew up in that same community. Uh, the entire county is 90% farmland, and um, there's probably 10,000 people in that entire county. So I grew up um, in the church. My parents have been in ministry for uh, almost 30 years now. And so I grew up, man, I went to church every single time the doors were open. Anybody else in here got that story? Like, it does not matter if you're sick. That is all the more reason for you to go to church. We will call the elders. They will anoint you with oil and you will be healed. Why would you stay at home and watch cartoons? You could get healed at church. You know, and I'm trying to stay home and watch America's Funniest Home Videos on Sunday afternoons. I don't know if y'all remember that. Uh, but we had church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and prayer meeting. And if you didn't go to prayer meeting, you know, you'd be called out. Pastor called you out. So that's, that's like my story. Like I grew up in a holiness Pentecostal church, okay? So thus my uh, charisma. And, um, you know, I used to watch my pastor literally like part the crowd like the Red Sea and run the pews. Do you guys know anything about that? You guys don't know that life. You Dude, know the literally, life. they run the top of the pews. Like, that is wild. But that was my norm. So it, it like, didn't even shake me up. I was like, oh, the, you know, the pastor's running the pews. Okay, I'm taking a nap, you know. So I slept underneath the pew. Like, that was just kind of my norm. So I grew up in church. But I got to be honest with you guys, I never wanted to be in ministry ever, ever, ever. I actually despised even the notion or the suggestion that I would one day become a pastor. I hated that idea uh, because my dad was a pastor and although he was bivocational and he was in business as well, my idea of being in ministry was that you had to be poor. So I was like, I definitely don't wanna be in ministry because I wanna be rich and I also wanna be famous. So how's that gonna happen if I'm a pastor? You guys know what I'm talking about? Because for me, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. All right, that was my goal in life. Yeah, that's right. He's got the height. You can obviously tell. I am sizable, right? And I so, mean, he was tiny. Oh, I was, so my, my kid, so, yeah. tiny. Nugget. Dude, my jersey was always number one. I always had the number one because that was the smallest jersey on the team. Okay, so I always wore number one, not by choice, but because it was the tiniest jersey. <laughs> like I got held back in sixth grade because I was so tiny, like literally. My dad was like, you know what? It's middle school. No one's going to care. Let's just hold you back, man. Like, you've been the smallest person Maybe in your class. Serious. I mean, like, I was, I was tiny. So, um, and part, in, in part because I wanted to play sports. So I grew up playing basketball. You know, that was something that I was, um, I did at a very competitive level. Like, I traveled and I played with Nike. And so in high school, I was a Nike-sponsored athlete. I would travel all over the U.S. playing in, like, major AAU, Nike-sponsored, Adidas-sponsored tournaments, right? So, like, in the same tournaments, like, LeBron would play. Like, I don't know if you guys know uh, Rajon Rondo plays for the Kings now. He was my teammate, all right? So we played together. So we started together, played basketball together. You guys probably don't know Michael Bush because he played for the Raiders. He actually decided to play football instead of basketball. He was a part of that team. And everybody on that squad was Division I scholarship athletes, but not me 
because when I was a senior, I got kicked off my basketball team, lost all of my scholarship opportunities because I was a heathen. I was demonized. I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. I was a drug dealer. I ran away from home. I packed a gun. I was a terrible individual. Seriously. And that was my journey in avoiding ministry. I was so against going into ministry. I was so against submitting to my heritage of being a part of the church that I did everything that I could to run, sprint, exhaust myself to go in the opposite direction. And so that was my path. So by the time that I was 19 years old, I'd been arrested a ton. Uh, I had friends of mine shot and killed. People had done drive-bys on my house shooting at me while I was standing in the front yard. And I had become completely addicted to drugs. I was um, abusing relentlessly, uh, basically uh, synthetic heroin, cocaine. Um, I was drinking a fifth of tequila every night with my roommate who was later shot and killed. Um, Like that had become my story. That was my life, okay? So um, by the time I was 21, all of my money basically came from uh, selling cocaine, crack cocaine. Uh, I had gold teeth and an afro. No one believes that. Everybody thinks that's a lie, but well, it's true. it's like, but how? It's true. But, I, it's, but how I had, did you get the afro? That's what I want to know. I permed my hair. <laughs> Deal with that, yeah. right? So, um, so basically, that was my story, man. And so um, no church, no pastor, no Bible, no Christian television. Jesus just decides one day that that is my day to be saved. Um, he woke me up uh, out of um, sleep when I had just fallen asleep. You know, when, you know that moment when you just fall asleep? You're like, you shake like that? You like get that sensation of falling? Well, that happened to me. I just like rolled up some weed or something. I, was, I, I would like roll up my weed for the next day. Like that's, I was just a drug addict. Literally, that's all, that's all I did was do drugs and sell drugs. And uh, just before this, the week before, my friend and I had counted out about $125,000 in cash to just kind of like re-up our drugs, okay? So that's kind of, if that'll give you the level of sort of engagement I was in this lifestyle, okay? So we're, um, he's gone to Alabama or somewhere of the sort to go pick up drugs. I'm at my house by myself. I'm rolling up weed and I get shaken out of my sleep. And all of a sudden I see people run past my window. So I'm thinking the cops are here. I'm gonna get arrested. Uh, They're gonna run in here and raid the place. So I jump up real quick, look out the window and no one is there. So I'm like, Okay, I'm freaking out. What's going on? Like, I'm growing weed in my house. Like, that's the type of individual I am at this point. I'm growing weed in my house. Do you, like, like grow it in, like, a clay pot? No, you have to buy equipment. (laughs) No idea. (laughs) I have no idea. A clay pot. Well, then, like, where do you grow it? You got to grow it in your closet. Oh, okay, cool. You got to, like, you got to configure them. Cool. You got a system. Man, I had no idea. Yeah, it's super crazy. I always wondered that. There's a lot of people do it. So <laughs> that, that, was, that was what I was doing. And uh, so I look out my peephole on my door. Nobody's there. And you guys, like, it was Jesus. Like, in that moment, Jesus, I can't say I saw him in the flesh, but I felt his presence so powerfully, he stepped into my apartment. And he said, in six months, you're going to be dead or in prison, or you can come home to me right now. And that was how I got saved. <laughs> like, I gave my life to the Lord in that moment. Um, in tears, in agony, in repentance, and in mercy and grace. 
And I immediately ran to my cabinet where I had a bunch of cocaine, flushed it down the toilet. I called my friend who was holding a bunch of money for me. I said, hey, man, bring me my money tomorrow. I'm completely out of this, completely. Um, I just got saved, and I'm going to move home, and I'm going to be a good son and a good big brother, and I'm going to go to church. That's, that's what I told my friend. And he was like, you're insane. Have you been doing like too much acid? Like, are you, what have you seen? What did, what do you, and I was like, dude, bye. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> right? It's like, I have had an experience, man. I can't explain it. I don't know what it means. I'm not sure what is going to change about my world exactly. But I know now Jesus is a part of it. And I got delivered from drugs in that moment. I had no withdrawals. I really had very little temptations to do any more drugs. I never shot up. I never used cocaine again. Um, like, I didn't abuse alcohol again. Like, I mean, it just everything in that moment. I was radically saved. I don't know how to explain it to you guys other than that. And so for me, once I moved home, um, I spent about nine months with my parents sort of rebuilding, reconciling, restoring our relationship, as well as my brother's. Every night uh, for nine months, I changed my cell phone number twice um, to just completely isolate myself from any old friends. And my dad discipled me for the first nine months after I was saved, really saved, um, by the help of T.D. Jake's DVDs. So that's how I got discipled, basically. (laughs) We sat down every night after dinner, and we would watch a T.D. Jake's DVD. And when I had a question, he would pause it and then explain to me the answers. That's what I did. So I thought all church was like the church I grew up in and like the Potter's House, Dallas, Texas, all right? So I had no other grid for any other church ever. And I had received a free plane ticket, which I'd never traveled before. I'd received, aside from like family vacation when I was a kid, I'd received a free plane ticket for graduation in high school. I'd saved it and had it when I was 21. And after I got saved, I said, Dad, I wanna use my free plane ticket because I'm going to the Potter's House Dallas, Texas, baby. I'm going to see T.D. Jakes preach live and in person. So I showed up, three-piece suit, duster jacket, all white with the shadow stripe and some Crocs on. You like that, Christian. You like that, right? So that's exactly what I did, man. That was like my experience and what I thought about church. I didn't know how to study. I was uneducated. I didn't have a college degree. I barely finished high school. I paid girls to do my homework. That's the only way I graduated, dead serious. I thought I was terrible and not smart. The only thing I thought I was good for was playing sports and like trying to be the popular guy. And so I had no grid for how to study, um, schooling, anything. Like I tried to do college twice, dropped out twice. So I just started reading the Bible chronologically and um, that's how I studied. And I I read it and I took it at face value. I felt that Jesus really meant what he said uh, about everything pick up your cross and follow me, right? Like deny yourself. Uh, These things like marked me, these hard sayings that I would ask pastors or leaders or friends, what does this mean? Oh, that doesn't really mean that. You know, that's not, you don't have to really sacrifice. Like, you know, persecution's not really a part of our lives today. Like that's, you know, that's for yesteryear. Uh, Missions, you know, well, we see missionaries every now and then they come to town, we give them some money. And, uh, but for me, man, I was all in. I was like, hey, my life has to look like this scripture. And a lot of people talk about spiritual maturity. And I just think spiritual maturity is when your lifestyle looks like the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Like for me, that, if, if, if you want to ask me what I think a mature disciple is, I think you make disciples and you like go after living your life according to what happened in the New Testament. Like for me. So that's what I went for, man. And that led me to India. 
Um, I started a nonprofit organization called Mercy 29 in 2009. I was uh, 23 years old. Um, we had a spaghetti dinner and um, without meat sauce. I have no idea why anybody bought that. Uh, and I took donations. We raised $800 and we started a nonprofit organization. Um, a few years later, we had bases in Mozambique, Africa, and in Southeast India. We had uh, ministry engagements in Brazil and in other places. Uh, but what we did was we went after rescuing kids from human trafficking, child slavery, and prostitution. And within a few years, we were able to rescue over 400 kids from human trafficking, child slavery, and prostitution. Mm -hmm. So that, was, that all happened, I guess I was 25. And, and, and then I moved to Nashville uh, because I got tired of living in, uh, you know, a community with one stoplight and all. <laughs> kind of wanted better restaurants, and I love barista parlor. So I moved here, and that's when we met. Mm -hmm. And uh, from the time that we met, Allison wanted nothing to do with me. That's not true. Pretty necessarily. much. I just lived in California. Come on. And she was like, I'm going to live in Reading for the yeah, next Yeah, I wanted years. to live in Reading for a while. I was really starting to get my footing there and starting to find some favor. And I had no reason to move back to Nashville. So when we met, it was more of I'm uninterested, not in you necessarily, but in a transition. So Exactly. But I talked her into it, obviously. Yeah, obviously. One or over. Yep. Pursued her until she gave in. Yes, there's a sermon in that. Yeah. Keep trying. <laughs> hey. All the girls are like, man. oh, God. No, but seriously. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it was very true. He was persistent. Because a lot of dudes today, they don't know how to pursue a woman. That's very true. Because a lot of like, dudes mm -hmm. are not men. They're boys. Right? They don't guys. say what needs to be said out yeah. of fear of rejection. Totally. If you want to be a man, you have to stand up. Dude. And declare to a woman that you have feelings for her, that you like her, that you're interested in her, and that you want to date her. All right? Just be direct be and direct. say what needs to be said. It works. Don't beat around the bush. Go for it. And be Just like, do it. Well, oh, yeah, what if they say Don't no? If they it. say no, it'll make you a bigger person, yeah. and you'll be better at it the next time. And the next time, you'll be so good at it. You're in fact, get the girl so will say yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, please don't do it over text no. either. No. No, don't and if don't Please. do it over don't do it over any social media. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, sliding into the DMs like what? Mm, but don't. okay, but let face but let's, to face let's is be the best. real. Yeah, it's it the is best. the best. It really the is best. the best. Some situations you can't do it face to face. I do understand yeah. that. That was our situation. We lived opposite ends of the country, and he did not have my phone number because I had That's not true. given him my phone number. That's true. At the time, we'd only seen each other once. one time. When so, but he was brave, and he told me like, "Hey, I think you're pretty, and I want to pursue you're you." You're pretty. I like you. I want to get to know you. Would you be interested in having a relationship with me? <laughs> I was all okay. Okay, let's try. <laughs> Right? So I'm just telling you, and like, then, direct. And, and then on Valentine's Day, I sent her a package. I figured out her address. <laughs> and so. Super subtle. I sent her a package. I sent you a bunch of candy. Uh-huh. Because I figured out what kind of candy mm -hmm. you liked secretly. And then I had some embossed uh name cards like greeting cards right you know you ever got one of those like from a grandpa or something it's like a it's like a <laughs> card because it's total old man winning totally, okay, yeah. you know right and it's like embossed it's like lyle b phillips you know it's like stamped in there it's like you guys know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah. i bought some of those and so i i wrote one out to her something like you know like a really nice letter like oh i've enjoyed getting to know you something simple something, like something direct to the point 
But the fact of the matter was it was on embossed letterhead. Okay? <laughs> it was intentional. So, I was like, he's a man. Ex- see, that's what I wanted her to know. This didn't come from a boy. <laughs> this came from a man. You see that letterhead, right? <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Hey. Jason, it worked. That, it worked. You see it that letterhead? Worked. What's up, It worked. So, yes, uh, he sent me letters on embossed letterheads, and eventually I was like, okay, yeah, sure. But no. Wore down, man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was perfect. If there's a situation that you have not overcome, just add love. Totally. Because there's no situation that can resist. Exactly. Genuine care. Just keep adding love. Just, yeah, genuine care and affection. If it ain't fixed yet, add love. That's my saying. So it, right. so that worked for us. Um, and it works every day. <laughs> Overwhelming me with love. It, it does. Yep. It works. It's true. I mean, what was that one saying from that one movie that we liked? <laughs> uh, the best exotic marigold hotel. Uh-huh. Remember that? Y'all I seen love, that? I love that movie. It's in India, so, so that's why I like, like it, oh, right? We love it. And there's like an Indian saying that they share in there, and they were like, um, they were saying, they, what, what, how, how did that go? Because we used to talk about it all the time. I have no idea. That's right. Everything yeah. will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's, it's not, not yet the end. The end. So good. Dude, that's what works. Our kids right are there. loving the stage. They're like, I'm in charge. Yeah. I love it. Don't so apologize. Basically, we've fine. been doing this, what we're doing now, for almost five years. Um, four years married. So, um, you know, I, I planted with some friends, single. We got married. Now we're co pastoring. Um, we're getting ready to move from this place. So if you guys decide to come back next year, we'll be in a new place, which will be pretty cool. We're excited about uh, it. Our vision here as a church is to have a local church, um, have a school of ministry, and also have a deployment center that sends out missionaries both locally and globally to love the world to Jesus. Yep. So that's, that's what we're going after here in Nashville. And so we're called Legacy. My parents' church is also called Legacy in Kentucky. Uh, but we are also an Iris Global Missions base. So we're kind of a part of two families in that sense. So, um, I mean, we, we've told you guys stories, obviously, yeah. and for the sake of time, we could continue to go on. But you guys may have some questions yeah. for us that are, like, disconnected entirely from mm-hmm. our stories or, um, or something that maybe, like, you, you saw in there that you want to ask about. Yeah. Anything. And you don't have to, but it could be questions about anything. Like I said, if we don't know, we'll tell you we don't know. Yep. So um, so for the sake of time, yeah, because we have yeah. about let's, 15. Let's, yeah, let's do the questions. 18 minutes Because we love questions. Minutes. Questions is our favorite part. Totally. So there's an extra mic. Yeah, it's right there I, by Jason. Perfect. So if you guys have a question, you can raise your hand, and we'll get the mic around. We, we, want, you to, <laughs> we want you to say it on the mic so we can put it on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, so... I love it. Not all at once. Anybody want to ask a question? Awesome. (laughs) So as a newish type church, how do you guys engage people in Nashville? Like, how do you get people to come here? How do you get people to know where you're at? It's a great question. I will say off the cuff, like, we probably haven't done the best job at marketing ourselves. You know, and I know that's not exactly what you're asking, but we've not really done a good job at that. Like, we don't send out mailers. We don't pay for Facebook ads or anything like that. Uh, what we really rely on is, for the most part, relationship, uh, but also evangelism. 
Like, relationship is very crucial. Like, there was a dude here last night that had an amazing experience sitting on the, thir- on the third row, and he had not been to church in 13 years. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And just got blasted, yep. right? And how he got to church was because his friend, one of our friends, brought him because they worked together, right? And so a lot of people end up coming because of relationship. Uh, Secondly, because we really empower our community to go out and live out just spontaneous acts of love. That doesn't necessarily mean, like, here's a pamphlet, you know, like, here's the gospel, um, here's the book of John. Like, that stuff is fine. Like, that's great. But uh, we really try to encourage people through testimonies, to go out and share the gospel with people through love and a lot of times through looking for situations that we can pray into. So I, I do CrossFit. That somehow works its way into every one of my messages. Right. So, it took a while this time. It did. You should have timed it. I know. I should have timed good. it. Uh, but, dude, CrossFit Gym is one of the best places to evangelize because if somebody gets hurt, I just go ask if I can pray for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so things like that actually get people connected to our church And then finally, I'll say, maybe you have something to add, is that Iris Global, because we're a part of like the bakers and their movement, then people end up kind of hearing about us. And so they come to check us out. That's, that's I mean, like you said, we're not really the best at like the whole, um, you know, social media marketing, uh, our, our because of the season our church is in, um, we are a little bit interesting for people to come to be a part of, to be very frank and honest. Um, we're not in our own space. We don't have our own space 24-7. Um, we don't have, like, a major, you know, lighting setup and, you know, fantastic sound. And we don't have a lot of programs. Yeah, we don't have a lot of programs outside of Sundays. We do have, like, a house church expression um, that we do throughout the week. Um, so it's kind of interesting, you know, a lot of times it is word of mouth or somebody hears, you know, about us through Iris Global, um, or stumbles upon it through friend. Um, that's usually kind of how people come our way at this point. And that's what we feel comfortable in this season doing. Um, if we felt released from the Lord to pursue a different kind of, um, like marketing strategy for us, we're all for it. We're not against, yeah. Yeah, we're, totally uh, we're not it. against that My kind of, yeah, his parents do it. Like we're not against it. It's just not what we're doing in this season because we're really, really dead set on building family in this season. That's the word we have from God, um, in this season. So we're really, really investing into the foundation and, and kind of just figuring out what that looks like from there and, and letting family actually expand to become the church as opposed to us trying to fill, like put people in seats and then like try to make us a family. So, cause we, we tried that That's at one true. season of our life and it was so exhausting that we were like, you know, we had 250, 300 people, but we weren't, our heart capacity wasn't big enough to make them family. So it's like, we've been growing from the inside out. And so it grows Actually, as yeah. as we grow, to be honest, our leadership grows, and then the church grows usually as a result of that. So that's what we've seen. And this is not necessarily in response to your question, bro, but just kind of a segue into a conversation that I think is uh, super important for any of you guys who want to be church planters, or maybe you just want to start ministries, you want to start nonprofits. And the big question that a lot of people uh, ask early on is, how do you create a culture? Right, Because a lot of people say, this is our culture. But if people are not living it, it's not your culture. So like, we can talk about culture all day. But if people don't do it, 
it's not really your culture. It's just a good slogan, right? <laughs> so we've sort of come up with what we think is a very oversimplified uh, way of creating culture. Would you guys like to hear that real quick? <laughs> so A is define it, right? If you don't have definition for it, it's not going to happen just, you know, accidentally. Like, you have to define your culture by defining the values that make up your culture. So you have to say, like, here are the things that we care about because these things are going to be championed in this environment, yep. right? So we put together core values. And I know a lot of people do that, and some people make the mistake of making it two things or three things, and some people make the mistake of making it 40 things, yeah. right? So I would say, like, less than 10 is a great place to start. Maybe even five or less is a great place to start. Just defining your culture um, through some of your primary, most passionate, greatest affection, like what, what, what's your big values that you really want to champion? And then secondly, anytime anybody ever does those values, you celebrate, celebrate them publicly. Celebrate it like wild, you know, have them share testimonies about it. Bring them up in the front. Make sure it goes out on social media. Yeah. Make sure it goes out in the newsletter. Record them. Show a video of it. Bring them up. Put a microphone in front of their face and say, tell us about when you experience, like one of our core values yeah. would be like intimacy with God, right? That's a pretty simple one. Yeah. But like tell us a testimony yeah. about the encounter that you feel like you've had with Jesus and then share that with everyone because what happens is it excites them. It gets them going. They get motivated and inspired. And they're like, I want to have intimacy with God too, you're like, yes, you should, because that's our bullseye, right? That's, that's our goal, right? That's, that's, that's like where we want you to hit. So these things help, testimonies help people to aim at that direction. Yeah, so. you, you see what I'm saying? And so as things happen like that, then we, we share testimonies. Now, when people do things aggressively against the values that we've defined and are championing, then we correct them, not publicly, but privately. And so it's not a hard conversation when you have values defined versus when you don't. Because if you, if you go to somebody and you say, hey, I really hated when you did that. That was totally terrible. That's just not what we're doing. That's not a fun conversation to have sometimes because people are like, okay, you don't like my behavior, great. Like, what am I supposed to do instead? Oh, here's our values, right? So you can kind of refer back and say, hey, here's the bullseye. Here's what we want to point you at. Because like, here's what we're actually building as a family together. Like, here's the environment we're creating. And so it doesn't really look like that what you're doing in this season is lining up like your, uh, your um, um, uh, how, how do you point like a bow and arrow? What is that called? Aim. Your aim, your uh, trajectory. Uh, yeah. Your trajectory <laughs> doesn't look like it's going to hit this target. Do you, you guys get what I'm saying? So, like your behavior, it looks like you're on a different trajectory. It doesn't look like you're going to hit the target that we have for this environment, which is this value. Yeah. Does that so make sense So it seems like it, it doesn't okay, I can't necessarily really uh, like associate with your question, but it does because that's actually, totally how, we, that's actually how we best um, that's actually how we best grow. Creating a so culture creating and then inviting people to, in to, to live be, it. be a part of it. So that's been a long it. journey and that's why you start off in some seasons small and then sometimes it ebbs and it flows based on people's ability to be a part of the culture um, and what they feel called to be a part of because we always suggest that people uh, go to the church that they feel called to not the one they feel comfortable in so we always have people pray um, we actually yep. even if we know somebody's transferring from a church to our church they're always asked to be, talk with their pastors about it but also pray like are you coming here because you like 
you know, the atmosphere and it feels fun for you? Or are you coming here because Jesus told you to? Because we want you to be a part of a family. Like, we don't want you to be a part of just an experience. So, Or are you coming here because we're not very big and so you hope that you can, like, <laughs> you know, have a play the drums yeah. or, you know, you can be empowered quickly or whatever. Like those things are all good questions. So in some but, ways, I feel like we work harder to keep our church smaller in this season as we're growing than anything, even though we're not really working hard to keep it small. It's just that's the nature of the season we're in. Because we're putting more energy into creating a culture than we are building a ministry. So we should answer more questions. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> so that was a super long winded answer there. Sorry. Did that help you guys at all? Anybody? Okay, cool. You can use it in your personal lives, too. Uh, so my question is, um, how, do you, how do you find out about sex trafficking that's happening in Nashville? Like, how do you, how do you become aware of that? How, how do you, like, even see where those, uh, you know, inner circles are, what, that that's all going on? Mm -hmm. You want to answer it? Uh, yeah, uh, usually the easiest way to get connected is just find an organization who's doing it, usually. Um, if they're not doing it, call uh, the police department because they usually have a department mm -hmm. that is aware of that stuff and they can either get you connected with people they're connected with on working with it. Um, our city is really, sp I feel, uh, per like very advanced in its understanding and knowledge and detection of human trafficking. Our police department is very aware of and has actually been in a season of becoming really equipped to not only spot but deal with human trafficking. Um, it's a very sensitive topic in the states because um, for the longest time prostitution and still is is illegal um, here in Nashville and so a lot of times they were unable to properly detect what was um, human trafficking most often or forced prostitution women who couldn't leave whenever they wanted to um, and so now they've kind of been trained but most police departments have some understanding um, mm -hmm. If you have a friend who's a part of a police department or just can call in, um, you can get some information from them about organizations who are pro who they support yep. um, that are doing it legally uh, and appropriately. The last thing you want to do is get on the wrong side um, of the law in, in regards to in the states dealing with human trafficking. So I would always suggest being a part of organizations that they endorse and that they work with. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of organizations here. You just Google, you know, who's fighting human trafficking in Nashville. And it's like six organizations are going to pop up and you can kind of just take yep. your pick. But I mean, that's I've one met way. with police officers before yeah. here. That's probably one of the easiest ways. Yeah. It's like because they know a relationship. They know and they'll tell you because they'll know what level they're willing to deal with it in this season. And especially finding police officers who love Jesus. They're really passionate Absolutely. about justice and they're really passionate about that kind of stuff. So, and they're just now becoming aware of it more and more, but that's what we found really helpful in the States is to kind of chat with them. But I will say this, it's a challenge to entice them to work with the church. Yes. And that's pretty sad because like just here locally, um, so I was having lunch with a police officer not too long ago, and they held a church and Nashville PD sort of mixer, if you will, of we're going to invite the churches and the Nashville PD to meet, and we're going to talk about human trafficking and what we can do to fight this injustice together. 
take a stab at how many churches showed up. One. And this was before we even knew about that meeting. And it was two men who came from the same church together who were 80. That was it. So our police department here, they're very open to seeking out political organizations who have some know-how concerning human trafficking, but their first stop is not the church because they've actually bought into a belief that the church doesn't care that much. It's just trendy to them. That is like the words of a police officer. Sorry about that to me. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's kind of how we go about it here. We, we so like we want to change that. Yeah, we do. That's partly why we're moving. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. This is an awesome area. Like the, this is a great place to minister. There's tons of stuff happening here. I mean, there's project housing like right down the road. Uh, and we've been like super mobile for the last couple of years, but we've been praying for a long time. God send us into a community that we can like have roots in and like make an impact and serve and be a part of. And so that's where we're headed next. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably be moving in the next month. So, any other questions? Yeah, there's a couple more. Yeah. So, God's put a big, clear, like, reconfirmed all the time, um, calling on my life for evangelism, mm-hmm. uh, especially, for, well, specifically at the oceanfront, right by our school. Um, so we've already started doing that with a group, a small group, uh, and so naturally that might turn into church building mm-hmm. because, like, you know, we're bringing people to Christ, totally. and we're just like, okay, have fun, like, kind of thing. Mm. Right. So I want to, like, minister to people and bring them to a community. Mm. So as for me, I would definitely encourage and would like to hear what you guys would have to say totally. about church building, totally. whether that's in the podcast or not. Yeah. Sure. Totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll frame it up from kind of like what feedback would I give? What feedback would we give someone who was thinking about starting a church? How's that? Does that work for you? Okay. Um, so I would say like don't ever plant a church unless you just absolutely cannot not do it. Because it's not something that's hobby, right? Like, at all. It's going to cost you a lot. A whole lot. And there is no set hours. There is no set pay. And to be honest with you, the rewards are amazing. And you're going to see people get breakthrough and grow and miracles happen. But you're also going to see people leave, fall away, be hurt break up, move to different cities, and in some cases, you're not just going to marry people, you're going to bury people, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's the nature of becoming, deciding to cultivate a community. Mm-hmm. It's like all in its real, raw funk of life, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's the nature of becoming a pastor. That's what you're signing up for because, honestly, dude, you're not building a church. You're building people. Mm-hmm. That's what church is. It's, a, it's, it's just people, Right, So I think a lot of times with people who decide to pioneer into ministry, they think about ministry as concepts or maybe sermons preached or study time or um, infrastructure or human resources. Those things are included, but they are, at the end of the day, people who God has called you to love and called you to serve 
And, um, you know, those things I think are super important when considering to plant. Uh, but then practically, like if you're really considering, I'm thinking about planting a church, you want to, if you're thinking about planting a church in six months, you should start planting six months ago or a year ago, right? Because there are so many different facets of practically planting a church that you really need to have in order before you even have your very first meeting. And um, there's a lot of resources out there that I would encourage you to visit if you were thinking about that. Uh, one is an organization that you guys probably heard of because it's getting big now that my dad's a part of, which is called ARC. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, the Association of Related Churches, ARC. You can just go to arcchurches.com. And one of the things that they do is they actually train, raise up church planters and give them money up to the tune of $75,000. It's a great organization, right? So um, you can actually do their first roundtable presentation online. You can watch the videos. And so I would say anybody who said, I'm interested in planting a church, dude, log on to there. Sign up, watch those roundtables, because that'll kind of incite you into some of the practicals of, of church planting. And then there's another, uh, as far as like admin and um, um, like this, your civil responsibilities, uh, there's another organization called Start Church, I think it is. Have you guys ever heard of that before? Start Church or Church Start or something. They're really known for their legalities. Like they help churches stay legal and abide by the laws. But they have a downloadable application for the Mac, uh, probably Windows too, but who uses Windows, right? <laughs> uh, so like you can download it and then... Everybody's like, I do. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Uh, no shade. I wouldn't throw any shade. Uh, so like basically you can... Um, you can go through a 21-week process to doing everything from top to bottom to get your church like legal and ready to actually have its first meeting. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would suggest those two resources, uh, but beforehand, you need to make sure that you have a clear and distinct calling from God or you're just crazy enough to go for it and believe God for the grace. Yeah. Like if you cannot not do it, then plant the church. But if there's wiggle room, like oh, I could plant a church, definitely don't plant a church. <laughs> Because that's how you'll be in the middle of it. Um, you know, for us, the one of the biggest things that has been so fantastic is that our covering or our spiritual parents and our parents in the natural are immensely supportive of what we do. Um, they always say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. So although we didn't plant, uh, we planted or Lyle planted as a, an Iris missionary. So we have the covering of Iris Global. Um, his dad is a church planter as well. That's good. So the things that we missed out on like uh maybe some of the procedural things that we could have done differently uh we made up for just relationally and in relationship and somebody saying like hey uh don't quit like it's really tough but just don't quit mm -hmm. um so the covering aspect. Yeah, I think it's, you're it's just really, it's really just really important too. because what I love about about your question is is the heartbeat of hey um for me, it's the same thing. Like evangelism must always lead to family. Like that literally is so, so, so important for me. Um, I always tell 
uh, you know, people in conversation, they're like, oh, like, what is, you know, what does missions in the States look like? Like, it looks like bringing people into family. Like, that's what it looks like all over the world. That's, it's, it's bringing it's dignity good. to people, but bringing them into family. So I love that your heart is is saying, hey, I don't actually want to just give people Jesus. I want to give people the, the Jesus family. Yeah. And that it, it really is invaluable. And people actually can't stay sustained uh, long term. Um, if you think you can stay sustained long term, as a believer in Jesus and it costs us what it costs us and not being a, a be a part of a church family or church community like you're you've got yourself fooled yeah um, totally. that is an absolute lie um, it was made for family the context of Christianity given to us is in the context of family and it is in the context of life on life relationships and moms and dads and and having an authority structure and having people that are smarter than us and are further down the road than us say mm -hmm. hey come on like we're on a journey together mm -hmm. so like you said you can do it if you're if you're anybody can do it if they have uh the heart the heart you know like hey i see you and i want you to be a part of family it'll move you enough to say hey like i'll make the family and i'll make a way for it so you know yeah and if it, if it mm -hmm. looks like hey i really want to start a church then you know do the procedural things and then find people who've done it before and just like learn all you can from them because when you're like in the thick of it and people who have been like youth pastors before tell you like, oh, I know what it was like to be in ministry. And you're like, no, no, I'm church planting. Like this is totally different. Like yep. this is a totally different thing. And the, and the level of responsibility it takes to uh, steward somebody's walk with the Lord and be responsible for shepherding somebody is a beautiful responsibility, but it is a responsibility nonetheless. So, yeah, I mean, just covering. Covering's huge. Yeah. If you be have people, sent. yeah, be sent. Don't just, don't just yeah. like. That's like I'm really planting. big for us. You know, yeah, totally. Be sent. Don't it's just. It's just. Leave. It's be much sent. better that way. Like oh, it's yeah. so much better to be sent somewhere than to be than to just go. So, that's our suggestion. I'd say our generation can pick out fake so quick, right? Like if you're planting a church because you're mad at your church, you, you feel it real quick. People are gonna go in and be like, they're just pissed off. Yeah. Like, I'm not coming here. <laughs> Like, you know what why? I'm saying? You guys, you guys, you, know you mean? ever been, been to there? a ministry like you that? You know, yeah. it's like they're just mad at their pastor, and yeah. so they started a home group. Like, you know, it's like that's not really good soil. You know, like be sent. Like, and I know not everybody has like this perfect setting yeah. to leave from. And um, I'm not saying that unless you're sent, you're wrong, uh, because you may very well be rejected and uh, ostracized like where you are and that's dysfunctional and I'm not saying that you have to become a martyr in order to qualify to plant a church all right that's not what I'm saying but I am saying like walk hand in hand with the Lord and don't burn bridges to start ministries actually go after building them because that's what you're in the business of in the first place so with that being said you guys I'm so sorry we can't do any more questions because we have to go because uh, we have to be in East Nashville in 20 minutes oh but we love you guys so much. I told Jason, I said, I feel like, um, you know, if, 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 if he's your spiritual dad, I'm now your spiritual uncle. Because we're like BFFs, right? So I'm like, I feel like so connected to you guys. And um, we got to spend some time in North Carolina together uh, at that conference, uh, Justice Conference in North Carolina. And that was cool because you guys were there and we had a blast. So, yeah, I just feel super connected to you guys, and, and thank you guys are the best. So Agreed. Have a blast in yeah. Nashville. Learn a lot. Seriously. And <clears throat> if pastors that are way older than us tell you anything different than what we just told just you. Just listen to them. Just listen to Seriously, them. Seriously, listen to them because they know what they're doing more than we do. So, <laughs> Can we pray for you guys real quick?
Yeah, okay. Let, let, we're going to pray. Yeah. So you want to kick that off? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'll pray too long, and then totally. if you set the pace, I'll yeah, keep it's it good. Short. Oh, well, Jesus, we thank you so much. Uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity it is to be followers and be believers in you and who you are. And so, God, I just thank you for this group of students who are just crazy enough to believe that their lives can count. Mm-hmm. I just declare over you guys that as you are in this city, that this city would be different because you're here and that yes. you would be different because you're here. Yes. And I just even declare that the uh, the thing that rests on our city for dreaming, yes. uh, for uh, the dreamers that are here, I just uh, speak life to your dreams and uh, new dreams to be built and awakened as you're here. Uh, and I just... I'm so grateful for the presence of God on your lives and for the fact that you have decided to come to the city that I love. Um, So I just pray um, a blessing and an increase to all the favor that you guys have already experienced. And I just declare that there's more for you, um, that there's more relational building to be had and that there's more breakthrough to be had in the city. And so um, as you're changing Nashville, let it change you. In the name of Jesus. Yeah, Lord. Just bless all the students. We bless our family, our friends, our brothers, our sisters. Uh, we bless the gifts that they are and the calling that you've invested in them. And we just declare that it's fruitful and that throughout this trip, God, you are giving the increase. Yeah. Uh, there's people who have sown and will sow. There's people who have watered and will water throughout this week. But God, you give the increase. And so we just give you glory for the increase this week in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you guys big.